This morning's scripture passage comes from Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 8, verses 14 through 17. Listen for God's word. All who are led by God's spirit are God's sons and daughters. You didn't receive a spirit of slavery to lead you back again into fear, but you received a spirit that shows you are adopted as his children. With this spirit, we cry, Abba, Father. The same spirit agrees with our spirit that we are God's children. But if we are children, we are also heirs. We are God's heirs and fellow heirs with Christ if we really suffer with him so that we can also be glorified with him. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Hey, everyone. Good morning. Preaching to you from home this morning out of an abundance of caution. Um, as Gabriel and Ellis have fevers and we're waiting to find out if it's the virus or just a virus. Um, so after hearing God's word read this morning, let us pray and then begin the sermon. God, open our hearts and minds to what you would have us hear and receive this day. Speak through me that we might hear your words of life. We pray in Christ's holy name. Amen. You did not receive a spirit of slavery back into fear. You received a spirit that shows you're adopted as God's children. Paul had probably not heard of FOMO. Have you ever heard of it? FOMO. It sounds like a either an as-seen-on-TV product like Flex Seal or a kid's toy made by Nerf. Actually, it's an acronym that stands for Fear of Missing Out, FOMO. In other words, the tip of the iceberg of the deeper fears of not belonging, of being nothing. Fear is a powerful thing, and so is belonging. Many say that the root of all fears is the fear of death itself, but, but I wonder if it's actually the fear of not belonging, of being no one, of being nothing. Really, it's the loneliness of death, the nothingness of death that we fear most. Try this exercise. Begin with a fear or anxiety, even a seemingly small or innocent one. Name it out loud or name it in your head. And after you do, say, and then what? And keep going. Respond, and then what? For instance, I'm afraid of being rejected. And then what? Then I'll be embarrassed. And then what? And then I'll feel like a loser. And then what? And on and on it goes. And keep going. And when it's all said and done, therapists say that we will usually all end up with the ultimate fears. Dying, not belonging, being nobody. Fear is a powerful thing, so is belonging. Henry Nouwen describes the connection between fear and belonging like this. I'm not so sure anymore that I belong, and I observe other people who seem to be better off than I, I wonder how I can get to where they are. I try hard to please, 
to achieve success, to be recognized. When I fail, I feel jealous or resentful of these others. When I succeed, I worry that others will be jealous or resentful of me. I become suspicious or defensive and increasingly afraid that, that I won't get what I so much desire or will lose what I already have. Caught in this tangle of needs and wants, I no longer know my own motivations. I feel victimized by my surroundings and distrustful of what others are doing or saying. Always on my guard, I, I lose my inner freedom and start dividing the world into those who are for me and those who are against me. I wonder if anyone really cares. I start looking for validations of my distrust. And wherever I go, I see them and I say, no one can be trusted. And then I wonder whether anyone ever really loved me. The world around me becomes dark. My heart grows heavy. My body is filled with sorrows. My life loses meaning. That is what slavery to fear and anxiety looks like. It can become an all-consuming identity. But Paul says that is not our identity. That's not who we are. We are no longer slaves to fear, Paul writes. Remember, he's just told us that the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us and we live in that spirit and receive life. You didn't receive a spirit of slavery to lead you back into fear. You received a spirit that shows you are adopted as God's children. Dear church, we are children of God. Just, just pause for a minute and think about that statement. It's one of those things that just rolls off our tongue sometimes when we don't actually think about the gravity, the weight of that statement. We are children of God. Not just creatures of God, not just creations of God. We are that, and that's amazing and beautiful in and of itself. All are wonderfully made in the image of God. All people are God's beautiful and unique creatures. But on top of that, even more than that, Paul says, we who are led by the Spirit living in us are children of God. The God who stretched out the heavens, the God who cannot be contained, the God who paints in beautiful sunsets and delights in the play of dolphins, the God who has no beginning and no ending, the God who numbers the stars and the hairs on our head, the God of endless power and love, the God who creates, sustains, redeems, the God who came to live with us, to die for us in Jesus Christ. We are God's children? It's like an impossible possibility. Theologian Karl Barth said, in uttering these words, God's children, either we're talking blasphemy or we're singing the song of the redeemed. I believe Paul thinks that it's the latter. We're singing the song of the redeemed in claiming the truth that we are God's children. And it's the Holy Spirit that confirms or testifies to this reality. It's like God is gracious enough to give us a constant reminder and affirmation that we do belong to God. Paul explains that the Spirit shows we're adopted as God's children. God's Spirit touches our spirit, the deepest part of who we are, and confirms who we really are. With this Holy Spirit, we're empowered to cry out, Abba, Father, to be able to call God that. And when we do, that's the Spirit agreeing with our spirit that we are God's children. It reminds me of a, a story Father Gregory Boyle tells in his book, Tattoos of the Heart. Father Boyle is a priest serving 
in a gang-ridden area of Los Angeles, and he's the founder of Homeboy Industries, which seeks to transform the lives of gang members. And he talks about a, a call he got one day from out of the blue from a man named Caesar, who he had known for a while. Caesar tells him that he had just gotten out of prison and he doesn't have a place to stay. He says he's staying with a friend and doesn't have any clothes. His girlfriend had apparently burned them in anger. <laughs> Can you help me, he says. Sure, son, Father Boyle says. So Father Boyle picks up Caesar at the appointed time and is surprised to see Caesar standing on the sidewalk waiting for him because he's used to having to search for him. Boyle goes on to say that Caesar is a pretty intimidating looking guy, large, fresh out of prison where he'd been lifting weights. He's covered in tattoos. He's got a really loud voice. When Caesar sees Father Boyle, he does this bouncing up and down like yippy skippy, happy to see you jig, and he throws his arms around him. They go to J.C. Penney, and in no time, Caesar has his arms full of clothes. At the checkout line, everyone stares at him. Caesar whispers, Ben, do I really look that scary? Father Boyle shakes his head no and says, Yeah, pretty much, dog. They laugh, and, and Boyle drops Caesar off, and Caesar looks afraid as he turns back to him and says, I, I'm scared. I, I just don't want to go back. Boyle replies, look, son, who's got a bigger heart than you? And God is at the center of that great big old heart. Hang on to that. And they say their goodbyes. And, and then at three in the morning, Boyle gets a call from Caesar again. Did I wake you? Boyle writes, I always think, why no? I was just waiting and hoping that you'd call. Caesar, however, is sober, and it's, it's urgent that he talk to me. I got to ask you a question. You know how I've always seen you as my father, even since I was a little kid? Well, I have to ask you a question. Now Caesar pauses, and the gravity of it all makes his voice waver and crumble. Have, have I been your son? Oh, heck yeah, I say. Whew. Caesar exhales. I thought so. Now his voice becomes enmeshed in a cadence of gentle sobbing. Then I will be your son and you will be my father and, and nothing will separate us, right? That's right. In this early morning call, Father Boyle writes, Caesar did not discover that he has a father. He discovered that he is a son worth having. We are children worth having to God. When we place our trusts, our hopes, our lives in Jesus, when we make his ways our ways, when we're baptized and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, we are not just creatures. We are children of God. The Holy Spirit is the power that Jesus gives us that we might become children of God. And the Holy Spirit helps us discover over and over and over again that we are children worth having to God, that we belong to God. The Spirit unites our voice with the voice of Jesus, who also calls out, Abba, Father. Christ became our brother so that we might become children of God, because if we're sisters and brothers of the Son of God, then we're daughters and sons of the Father. And is there any greater belonging? Is there any greater belonging than to call and know God as Father, or better yet, than to be known by God and to be called by God my children. 
Is there inner greater belonging than to know deep in our spirits that before any human being touched us, God formed us in secret, that before any human being decided anything about us, God knit together, uh, knit us together in our mother's womb? That before the first twang of fear of nothingness, of not belonging hit us, God loves us with an unlimited, unconditional love and actually wants us to be his beloved children? It is an unspeakable act of love and grace being God's children. We are children of God because God adopts us. Jesus is God's son by nature. We're God's children by grace. Adoption is the grace by which we become children of God. In adoption, a child who does not biologically belong to a family is embraced by that family. Adoption creates an intimacy that enables a child to call someone mother or father. Our adoption by God through grace creates the intimacy allowing us to call God Abba, Father. There's belonging there. There's the moment of adoption itself, and then there will be all the eventual subsequent moments, however long it takes for them to arrive, when that adopted child looks into the eyes of her adoptive mother and father and sees herself as their precious daughter. I asked my cousins who have fostered and adopted about how they see these verses from Romans written by Paul as parents. And this is some of what they said. The children we have met and loved as a mother or father have always come into our loving arms frightened and traumatized. From newborns to preschoolers, even the teens that I mentor, they are hesitant to trust and remain very quiet and still for too long. It isn't until we show our consistency and unconditional love, keeping of our promises or reliability of having their basic needs met that laughter appears, milestones are met, and comfort can be given simply by hearing our voices enter a room. Maybe that's what Paul is getting at. If adoption is the grace by which we become children of God, then maybe the Holy Spirit in us is all the subsequent moments in our lives, however long they take to happen when we gaze upon God and see ourselves as God's precious children over and over again. We are God's children, and yet there is still a lot of fear right now. I don't have to tell you that. I have fears and anxieties, as I'm sure you do too. We often try to tell ourselves in the midst of fear or anxiety to, to be brave, just be brave. There's nothing to be afraid of. But Paul doesn't set bravery as the antidote to fear. He sets belonging. He doesn't say, you didn't receive a spirit of a slavery to fear, but a spirit of bravery. No, he says, we've received a spirit of adoption as God's children. And so maybe the answer to fear and anxiety isn't to tell ourselves to be brave, but to tell ourselves that we belong or more specifically, to listen to the Spirit tell us that we are God's children as we cry out in desperate and joyful voices, Father. To say, I am afraid, but I belong to God. I am a child of God. I have an identity anchored beyond fear. What if we lived so, so deeply in that identity as children of God and fellow siblings in Christ that we would not be overcome by fear? What if rather than having so much of our identity consciously or, or subconsciously shaped by fear, rather than being afraid of the future, of change, of what people may think of us, our status, our standing with God, of death, of nothingness, of not belonging anywhere, 
We trusted the promise and the status of belonging to God as God's children and found courage and assurance in that. What difference right now does it make to know that we are unconditionally loved, that we have immeasurable value, immeasurable value in God's eyes, that no matter what we do or is done to us, and no matter where we go, God always loves us and cares about us. What difference does it make? Hopefully all the difference in the world. Hopefully enough difference so that like children, we come to resemble, even though adopted, the one who adopted us. Because God's children are the windows through which the world sees God. God doesn't want anyone to miss out. So let's do that exercise again. Name what it is you're afraid of. And then say, and then what? And keep going and keep going with that. This time though, this time let's end in a different place and let it be gloriously enough. We are God's children. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.